nervous? <laughs> no. Where's your answer? Dennis Beckham, let the ball out! Dennis Beckham! Dennis Beckham! Dennis Beckham! Dennis Beckham! Oh! oh, no! Oh, yes! He missed it! There's no Canada like French Canada. It's the best Canada in the land. The other Canada is hardly Canada. If you lived here for a day, you'd understand. Welcome to the Suffering from Joy podcast. I'm Devin, and I'm joined here today by Charles Peacock of the False Nine and Seth, who knows everything. Say hi, gentlemen. Hello. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. And we're going to discuss the uh, 1-0 Austin FC last-minute winner over Montreal. Uh, I think we should get started at the uh, starting point. Let's talk about the starting lineup. Um, Charles, you want to lead us off? Uh, Yeah, I think... uh... I think one of the most interesting things leading up to this week was the discussion about um, what Austin was going to do at the center half position based on Cascante's uh, health and Kippy's performance, I guess we'll go with, uh, last week. Uh, so I was pleasantly surprised to see Alex Ring starting at, at uh, center half. Uh, I saw a stat this week that in matches that he started in that position, his teams were 5-1-4, and four, which is kind of an incredible record. Um, now it's six one and four after last night's win. I think Alex Ring is our second best center half. Like after after Leo, who is clearly like that guy. Um, after seeing him for two matches, I'm already completely convinced. And so I think Alex Ring should actually be the permanent starter, pairing up with Leo. Didn't we do this at the end of the first season where we like had a real big shortage and then like we stuck him at center half for a game and he was great. And then we stuck him at center half for another game and he was absolutely awful. I think there was one, I, I remember him getting put at center half against, I, I want to say sporting Kansas city in 2021. Um, right. I'm a firm believer that Alex ring is the best all around player on the team. And uh, I think he's clear. I think he clearly provides better leadership and defensive structure both in terms of uh, organization and also just like willing the team forward than anybody else we could put back there. And if we're not going to put him in midfield, which I think in week one was a big problem in terms of not having enough intensity and enough fire, you know, we can put him at center half with Leo and, and that ultimately makes us a better 11. Well, I also, I, I mean, I'll take a modified version of that take. I think that if it's Alex Ring and Julio Cascante back there, or heck, even Alex Ring and Ruben from last year back there, I don't know if I agree with that. But being paired with Leo, being paired with a Finnish countryman who he's clearly establishing a rapport with really quickly, and this combination makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I don't know if I have the scorching hot um, we need to have the definitive answer today, but I think going forward for at least the next week or two until we get a lot more clarity, I know Julio's at least eight weeks. Um, but right now I think as far as like, you know, we don't have time to play around and kind of like figure out our system. Like we have a champions league game in two days where we're recording this on Sunday. Um, so yeah, he's the guy we got to play right now. He's the easiest to slot in. He fits most for me. He was man of the match yesterday. I don't know about either of you two. Yep. Yeah. hundred percent. Okay. And I'm, I'm with you. I think there's definitely like some grit or leadership in there. And um, he had a charge in like the, it was before we scored maybe 84th, 85th minute up the right side after he'd been playing the whole game and, you know, looked as fresh as anybody in the field. And uh, um, you know, we'd heard some stuff that maybe there was an issue with fitness, but then we didn't. So um, I think the fitness concern, at least for me is fine. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I actually thought that, um, him and Leo seem to have more um, leeway to push forward than they normally do. And I wasn't sure if that was necessarily a function of what Montreal was doing, but it definitely seemed like they had a, a few more forays going forward and trying to get the ball back than we normally see. Well, I think, I mean, Wolf, did either of you listen to Wolf's post-game press conference? No, no I, I wait for other people to relay it to me. That's I can't fair. stand to listen uh, to him talk. Yeah, no. So it was interesting because Wolf had mentioned that in a strategy that he was giving them more room to go forward and intentionally having both Diego and Driussi go back more than they normally do in the match. So like he came up with a bunch of tactical changes for this match that sort of just surprised Montreal to be like, okay, we're going to have a back line that moves forward. I mean, especially when you have Gallagher on a back line as well, you're already going to be pushing for, more forward. And that where we, 
at least last year and even a lot of 2021, were playing so much through Diego. We didn't really play through Diego very much last night. And Diego, but that was, it sounds like that was intentional of, hey, we know that we're going to have a back line that's going to be pushing up. We're going to have Diego come back most of this match and not have him exert himself in a way because that they were really effective in stopping him last year when we played up in Montreal. So, and knowing, even though you're playing against a different, very different Montreal team than you did last time, that, okay, you're still playing the same back line for the most part okay we're not going to have him use that approach we're going to have him play in a different way and also effectively save Diego to be more of a threat on Tuesday down in the Dominican so I mean you say that but it seemed like um, against St. Louis City we were also doing this weird tactical thing and I mean we had a different lineup we had Gallagher on the right um, which I think is a great position for him but yeah. Uh, we'll get to that in a little bit, but it seems like our new kind of formation setup tactics, whatever you want to call it, not just in this game, but in the first game too, is set up to like minimize Diego and Driussi, who are arguably our two most effective attacking players. And I don't get it. Like maybe you can say on this one, it's a wild card, haha, surprise type of thing. Like you're pulling a rabbit out of a hat, but that's two games in a row in a two game season so far. So I don't know if there's like an end game to this or um, you know, I guess Wolves are in trust. I don't know what you guys think, but it's sort of concerning me that this is at least now a multi-game problem. I think you, you start spinning around it. I think that because we have so many matches and so many competitions this season that we're going to see that we're going to be much harder to predict because we're going to have to be much harder to predict when there's going to be so much game film out there on us. I I, I come back to, I think Wolf is trying to go away from things that work to experiment with things. And I'd rather just at least like try the thing that worked first. Like maybe spend like, like maybe spend like 70 minutes or 60 minutes doing the thing that we know works first and then going to a plan B instead of starting with whatever the new plan is, which I, I, I agree. I, I kind of just inherently don't like how Driussi is no longer um, so far forward. Especially defensively, he, um, uh, you know, a lot of times last year we saw him essentially leading the line and playing in front of a Ruti or whoever the the striker at the time was, and now that position is always taken up by Zardes, and it feels like that doesn't allow Drusi to get forward and get involved in the play as much as he used to, um, and that's worrisome because ultimately, like the chances that were missed by by Ragoni and Zardes, if those chances fell to Driussi, we're up 2-0 at halftime. And this is one of those like early season last year matches where we might end up 4-5-0. Uh-huh. Everybody goes home early. Yeah, and I mean, I guess this is my other thing too. We eventually kind of switched the tactical um, idea with Finley and Lima coming on later in, in the match, but we had like one plan and it was the Galaxy Brain Seth thing that I think we're totally overthinking it, like you said. Um, but well, it also we actually it also did that. Like it was just like okay, you know, try to hit a cross into Zardes and hope, and that's not going to be effective over a maybe even sixty game season. Well, it also didn't seem to make sense based on how Montreal play. Like Montreal plays with wingbacks, and so you'd want to try to have more bodies on the outside because you're going to try to pin those guys back. And uh it was just it was just very strange to see our wingers cut inside so much and basically play right into the lanes that Montreal was already defending. And instead of a way to try to like expand them horizontally. Like I know we talk about like, you know, ruthless verticality a lot, but like there's also ruthless horizontal uh, horizontality, I guess I'm gonna admit as a word. It's um, nine AM, it's too early for you to semi make up words. <laughs> uh and so I felt like Austin like didn't do a good job of that, even though Montreal with the wingbacks, you know, they beat us up the line multiple times. Um, and I really felt like not overloading that side and forcing those wingbacks back was really a deficiency that that um, Austin's tactics had. But if, if we look at how did we actually create the one goal that counted of this match, it was Driussi taking a big run from the back to set up Lima, to set up the cross, to set up the pass to the goal. That, yeah. that was not having – that was Driussi playing from the back that led to the one goal of this match. It wasn't. It utilized both – um, he usually lies Lima, who'd gotten forward as a winger, and Gallagher as a winger, 
Um, and we saw that a couple times of Danny and, and Owen were able to push forward. The the Zardas offside goal was a is a good example of that. Yeah. But a lot of times when they were pushing forward, they just didn't have any options. Yeah, I think the other thing to note here is maybe we're kind of galaxy braining the galaxy brain thing. We had three very good chances in the first half an hour. Um, Rigoni has two different shots wide open from basically the penalty spot. Doesn't put either of them away. One's a great block by the defender. One, I, you know, I get he's trying to not hit it 30 yards over the goal, but kind of tamely taps it straight at the keeper in for a DP. He's got to be putting those away. And then the um, Zarda's offside goal, I think, is at 32 minutes or somewhere close to there. Yeah. And uh, he wasn't offside by much, but um, so we are creating chances. But like, are we kind of over freaking out or am I over freaking out about this? Hey, these two guys, and like I kind of distrusted Ragoni after last year and said, oh, okay, well, maybe he needs the offseason. He'll get used to everything. So he's putting himself in good spots, and Zardes is too, but like they're not even, you know, testing to keep her um, really hard or, or really kind of inspiring confidence in anything. So are we over overthinking this already? We're only two games into the year. Uh, where do we go from here? Um, I think at this point, it's, yeah, like we're two matches into the season. Let's see how we, I mean, we are. Yesterday kicked off a stretch of five matches in 15 days. Let's see. Let's evaluate this in two weeks after um, after the Houston match, and we'll, we'll yeah we'll, we'll come back to this. This is going to be a recurring bit over the season. Yeah, I, I think. I mean, we're fans. We're suffering. We're nitpicking. I think Austin actually played. You said really the well. thing. Good job. Thank you. Uh, I actually thought Austin played really well. Like I uh, I, I tweeted out at halftime yesterday that like the the missed chances really cloud how well the team was playing especially you know that that second Rigoni chance like that's the chance the system is designed to set up (laughs) like that's that's literally like josh sits there like at night like thinking about like oh what would a perfect chance look like and like thinks about that and you know had we finished had they finished either of those i think we'd feel very differently about this team because there was such a good performance against a montreal side that you know isn't as nearly as good as they were last year yeah, and I think that's kind of the crux of the thing. And, like, you know, we're fans. We're insane. Uh, we want to know the answer, but, like, we're two games in. We won't know the answer. Is this, uh, hey, the system's working. We just need to kind of, like, fine-tune everything and and work out the kinks. Or is it more like, hey, we got the wrong guys for this system. We can get, you know, 2.5 XG out of Zardes and Ragoni every game, and they're never going to score. Uh, and we don't know. And we're not going to know for uh, probably at least a month. So yeah, um, okay. I hate that answer, but I think that's it, Seth. <laughs> yeah, no, like, I mean, and that's okay at a point. I mean, I do think that there's a question of, is Ethan Finley more effective as a 60-minute starter or a 30-minute sub? He was ridiculously effective as a 30-minute sub um, yesterday. And like, okay. But then again, he also had a chance that, that hey, if Rigoni is in that top, maybe Rigoni buries that he doesn't. And then vice versa, that Rigoni had the chances that we were mentioning earlier. Maybe Finley buries those. I don't know. None of us know because we're talking about hypotheticals here. But it is um, – I do expect that we'll see Finley get the start on Tuesday, and we'll see how he does with that. I mean, is that a rest thing, or is that just uh, Finley's been playing better than – or I guess played better than Rigoni yesterday? Yeah, I mean, Finley – I mean – Finley is, I think Finley came into this team last year with really low expectations. Why are we getting a quote-unquote washed-up guy on the back end of his career? Who, Yeah, he has a few national team caps, but he's been a maybe slightly above average MLS player. And I think he's exceeded nearly everyone's expectations that he's been a real key contributor on the team last year. And I think he's going to continue to play a really key role this year. Yeah, I agree. I'm much more amenable to him as kind of a 30-minute super sub effort guy, you know, chase down balls in the corner. He can play for a little bit if he needs to. Um, But there was a stretch where he was just doing the uh, Paul Areola, I have the entire length of the field to run into, kick it into a defender's shins thing, and it was driving me crazy. But I'm hoping we're past that. I actually think he's a really good player against – I think we saw this against Atlanta last year. He is a like perfectly average MLS player. Uh, and so anytime he uh, is against somebody who's like new to the league or just kind of like below average, like he just destroys them. And I think that is going to be an interesting thing to look at for Tuesday is kind of like seeing what Violet's level is. And he actually probably could do a lot there. I want to put Tuesday aside until a little later and we go through the game and we'll kind of look forward a little bit. 
I have an important question for both of you. Do you know all of the words to O Canada? Yes, I do. No. Okay. Oh, okay. You don't. All right. Everybody in our section was looking at me and Riley because we know all the words. And uh, we got kind of two different reactions, which are like, why do you know another country's national anthem? Just like, I don't think that's that weird. Um, and the other one was like, wow, that's really impressive, which is also like, no, it isn't. It's um, not. It's. First of all, it's a way better national anthem than the Star Spangled Banner. It is. It is it's yes. to a point that it is, what, nine lines long? But the question is, did you sing the Trudeau version or did you sing the, uh, uh, what you call it, original version? And did people uh, under, oh, wait a minute, there's no way that anyone else in the section would know that. Uh, no, there were no people in Montreal gear in our section. I sang the traditional version because I don't recognize the Trudeau government. Um, because he's Fidel Castro's son, and if we go on to this tangent any longer, um, we're going to end up getting like banned from YouTube or something. I'm joking, people. Don't worry about it. Um, I just love the conspiracy theory. Uh, anyway, um, going back to their lineup, uh, did Samuel Petit play last year? Because I don't remember him. He did not play against us, but yes, he did play for them last year. Okay, that man is the most French-Canadian person I have ever seen in my life, and I watch, like, nonstop hockey. He reminded me a lot of, uh, if you've ever seen Letterkenny, Jean-Jacques Francois Jacques-Jean, or JJ Frankie JJ, (laughs) Um, which is what I'm going to call him for the rest of the podcast. But, like, I saw that guy walk out, and I was just like, oh, okay, here we go. I'm ready for, for some fun here. And he played exactly like... Um, you know, a guy who was uh, dressed as a lumberjack from 50 miles north of Quebec. And it was great. Like, if I were in neutral watching that game, I would have been like, I like this guy. But um, there were multiple times he, like, hacked down our guys or, like, pulled people down or body checked someone. And, like, is this guy, like, immune to yellow cards or something? Because it was the, like, fifth or sixth foul. And, uh, like, three of them were him just, like, pulling a guy back who was on a break or just straight up cynically tackling a guy. And I want to know how to get these powers and how we give them to Danny. Oof. Yeah. Sorry, there was a lot to unpack there. No, I, I agree. I thought one of the interesting things was he was part of their defensive back line when normally he plays more as, like, a midfielder. Okay. Um, But I agree. He He definitely got away with one or two extra fouls before he was yellow carded than he should have. And I wasn't sure if that was also some like magical captain thing where like the captain is less likely to get carded. Um, But also, I think he kind of exemplified like the way their team was playing, like their team tried to play very physical and uh, were ultimately like at times much more concerned about like fouling and preventing our guys from moving than uh, getting the ball forward. Yeah, Seth, you're kind of a referee expert around the league here. The guy we had last night is sort of famous for the, like, chaos level game, right? Yeah, so Lucas Falza, who is – when I saw that he was uh, on the whistle, I was very concerned because the three matches that he called for us at home last year were all draws, and he gave a very, very dubious red card in uh, Salt Lake City to us last year as well. So it was – and he did did not have a great match last night, but thankfully it did not cost us three points. Okay, yeah, I was actually starting to wonder if I just don't understand the, like, pulling back a guy on a breakaway (laughs) – um, yellow card rule because there were a bunch where it was like you're obviously not playing the ball guys free rip him back nothing like not even a talking to yeah. so I'm hoping that was just a one-off here and I actually do sort of understand the rules of this game yeah there was, a, there was also a lot of inconsistency on like players getting um, tackled from behind and whether or not it was a foul because um, I felt like especially in the first half there were like a handful that like really could have gone either way and they just kind of seemed to randomly go either way yeah, and especially in the first half and I guess the beginning of the second, like I'm fine. I'm always down for some shit housing. If you ever hear me talk about any sport, I'm always game for it. Um, but I think, and it's not just a an MLS problem. I've noticed it a lot in the Premier League lately too. And I mean, I don't watch enough Bundesliga, but it might be an issue there too. Or if it's just an Anglosphere thing, it's over the top. Like you're literally killing games where the ball's only in play for 45, 50 out of 90 minutes. And I don't know if there's a good solution for this or referees need to, we need to go to like world cup time where you tack on 15 minutes or whatever. Um, I don't know if you guys saw the same thing as me, but it reminded me a lot of that uh, galaxy game last year where like, they just let them kick the ball out of play and then everybody stands around for five minutes and then we play for 10 seconds and there's a foul and we stand around for five minutes. Um, Is there a good solution to this? 
I, I think it's World Cup time. I, I think at a certain point you have, I mean, admittedly, I was at the uh, Fire um, NYCFC match last night and had to watch this on replay. But um, that game had was originally plus six in the second half and ended up taking 12 minutes to play the um, second half stoppage time. Like, they just kept, like, okay, there was both teams, there was 1-1, one, one, they were both shit housing, and the rest were like, we're just going to keep making you play out here because you guys are being ridiculous and not actually playing the match. I think it's a little different, too, when it's both teams doing it. Yeah. Because it's sort of like, okay, it balances out a little bit, and I do get a little bit of a karmic justice out of that uh, late winner and then blowing the whistle on exactly six minutes of uh, yeah. at a time, which I thought was way too low. But, I mean, it's, you know, it, it's always an, an exact science. Uh, yeah, and- not, well, I mean, the question is, like, FIFA is, like, I, I'll be really curious to see. So, like, I was watching a little bit of the Women's World Cup play- Intercontinental Playoff qualifiers and that they were getting to a point. I know it's like, a really deep dive here. But, like, they were actually doing the same as Men's World Cup stop and shot. So, like, if FIFA is enforcing it across the, the Club World Cup did the same thing. If FIFA is enforcing it across the competitions where they're in charge of, I'm curious how long it's going to actually take to go down to league level. Like, I mean, I, there was active applause from when the Premier League came back around Christmas and they were calling normal stoppage time rather than the law stoppage time. Um, and clearly, I don't think fans want to see like matches that are actually taking 120 minutes to play 90 minutes of match time. There was a story this week that there was actually a... Um, there was actually a movement coming out with uh, in the... In the in soccer rules about trying to actually have a stopped clock to where every time it goes out and going to like a more American style like clock system, which I don't see ever happening, but I prefer the extra injury time at the end because I don't, it feels like you get extra soccer, even if you may not, but it just feels better. Yeah. And it's a little closer to like a buzzer beater too, right? If you end up getting that like late, late winner, the, Michael Owen in the uh, ninth minute of three minutes of stoppage time or whatever it is. Um, And the other one I've seen floated around is basically like you take the clock out of the referee's hands. You just have like sort of an extra guy in the bar booth or whatever, who's like, okay, I'm going to track every time the ball's out of play. And um, especially on things like we had a throw in at the end of the first half or they had a throw in at the end of the first half where like the guy took like 20 seconds to fake throw the ball in. And then there was like a bust up further up the field. And it literally took over like two minutes to get the ball back in play. Uh, and yeah. it ended up with a drop ball back at the keeper. And like that sort of stuff is just, I understand like it, it's part of the game to an extent, but especially if you're MLS and you're kind of trying to push this as like quote unquote a product more with Apple too, like, who would want to watch that game last night if you're just a neutral and you don't care about Montreal or Austin with all this, like, um, you know, demagoguery and acting and crap like that. Um, so I think they have like an actual image problem, but I don't know if you guys have the same opinion. I mean, I don't think that's really the, cause like the thing is now with MLS 360 that, I mean, you guys will probably really get to experience for the first time um, next week. Cause we don't play until eight thirty central time and you get, get, get to see the whole six thirty window on 360. You don't, as long as one or two of the matches are decent in a window, a lot of the Apple doesn't need each match to be good. They need each match to be good enough that they, when they flip to it, that it works for that. Seth's beating me at capitalism today. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I also like going back to your point about like taking the timer out of the ref's hands. I think trying, I, th- I think with how the game moves in terms of pace and all the things going on and to keep track of i think either adding a second official which is a bad idea because we clearly don't have enough like people who can competently officiate a, a, a match right now to to add that but taking something out of the referee's hands to where they don't have to worry about the time and can worry more about what's happening on the field in theory should help out in theory or dangerous words when it comes to uh, fifa and mls <laughs> it is but also like i i agree with that's point that like with a with a three sixty show and trying to draw, you know, if your team is not playing to draw people to three sixty show, like you just need a couple good goals and a couple good attacks from every game and like you're good. Yeah. Um speaking of tough things to watch, Brad Stuver last night was in pink leggings or high socks, a pink shirt and like weird purple shorts. Did that bother either of you? Because I couldn't stop looking at it for like the first ten minutes of the game. 
I don't uh, know if they just like don't make that color of pink in shorts or what the deal is. <laughs> it, it, it's a it's a weird combo, but it, I think it was especially striking when you have the green, black, whatever um, Vosis kit that we're wearing. That Montreal's um, only kit this season because they've had issues with some of the um, na- uh, First Nations populations in Quebec not agreeing to their new um, primary kit. I think Montreal's. Um, kit for the season is the ugliest in the league so when you have (laughs) that has just like no color texture combined with stuver's way too many colors going on that it's a borderline nauseating experience so i didn't like the pink and purple together i think had they gone with like a black short or like something that was a little like less striking of a color i think it would actually look really good um I think in general, soccer doesn't feature enough different colors and especially um, uh, non-traditional male colors. Uh, Like I think Philadelphia, like this is a very like niche market, but like if Philadelphia had Bimbo as a sponsor and a pink kit, they would sell so many of those to a very specific market. But that market, every single person would buy them. (laughs) I mean, you have some that are kind of, what you would call non-traditional male colors like inner Miami and um, Orlando city. And uh, it's not like it's non-existent certainly better than, I mean, for the most part, other North American sports. Well, I also think about it in terms of like, especially in Europe, like I remember like Everton had a like black kit with like pink, um, like trim on it and people freaked out about it. And that's obviously England, but even still, like you mentioned two teams, but like that's two out of 30 (laughs) as opposed to like, um, you know, how many teams are just like some variation of blue or some variation of red. And it's just kind of like having more colors, especially for goalie kits, when we were complaining about goalie kits and ref kits looking to like last year and how often those matched. I think having something completely out of the box is good. Yeah, but I mean, you also get to the point, I mean, the new St. Louis kits, have, or city kits, I should say, have a fair, the, the primary kits have a bunch of pink in them. You have the, yes. the gold that you have in the RSL kits that we'll probably see next Saturday is a different shade of yellow gold than you see in almost any other sport uh, that comes over there. Like, I, I think that MLS is, is way more diversified in that. And I think it's as the people at Adidas get more creative that we're going to see more different combos moving forward. I mean, like, even if you look at it, there's not, I'm thinking of this really quickly. I mean, there's not a Premier League team that has, or, I mean, the amount of orange there is in MLS between Houston, Cincinnati, NYCFC, like, you don't see that in a lot of Europe. I mean, wolves, I guess, are kind of like that yellow orange. Um, yeah, but it's not as it's not as bright as that. It's yeah, orange. it's it's not that neon like Houston color. No, I agree. I think MLS has a much better job of it than a lot of other leagues. Um, but yeah, like we do get like a few other color combinations, and it's not just like a bunch of like claret and blue that is like a quarter of their Premier League sometimes. Aston Villa playing Burnley, who I know aren't well, they'll be back, but um, yeah, like you're like who's who. Yeah, West Ham, and I think yep. there's like two more, and it's like this guy's. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard to follow. Try to figure out like who's the away team, but then they're like switched kits because of some weird reason, and it's it's a whole ordeal. I mean, it, most of the time, like I agree, these are horrible. Uh, Club de Foot de Montreal or whatever they're called this week um, kits. I don't know if they're worse than the LAFC smog kits, but they're in the same ballpark. Um, but I mean, I think we get like a decent amount of change or diversity or however you want to phrase it i mean like i don't love our kits this year we talked about it on the last pod but um it's not you know like charles said it's not clear and blue and everybody has the same idea on it or like the uh black and white or red and white stripe that everybody yeah. seems to do too also those rsl kits that you mentioned with like the slightly different color like yellow gold like those might be my favorite new kits in mls yeah, I, I do expect that we'll see them, and I expect that we'll wear the primary kits again on Saturday. I think one thing that is very niche but matters to probably a bunch of our listeners is that the league is not publishing kit matchups um, like they did mm-hmm. most weeks in the last in the past seasons this year. So um, Apple, if you're probably not listening to this podcast that is on Apple Podcast, <laughs> that it is, uh, my, is my urging league offices, like, hey, put this out. Like, you're getting clicks on this page. Yeah, it probably is a, a little bit of extra work for some intern to go publish this. But, like, there are people that appreciate it. 
Yeah, I'm not going to say we did it every game, but there was a fair amount where we'd look it up and go, oh, okay, I'll wear this kit because that's what the team's wearing. Um, and I know there are a lot of people who are religious about that. Like, oh, have they put it up yet? Like, we have to know what we're wearing to the game. It's like, yeah, it's a home game, but... <laughs> I mean, they do funny things like that. I mean, yeah, they are primary and secondary kits. They are not home and away kits. Yes, um, quite aware of that. Okay, well, um, you guys want to move into the fun part, the second half, and uh, talk a little bit about the goal and the build-up to the goal? Sure. Yeah, let's do it. Sure. All right. So, um, Lima and Finley come on. Uh, Gallagher moves uh, basically diagonal across the field. Um, there was a moment in, I want to say, like the 77th minute where uh, Montreal turns the ball over. Driussi tries to hit like a 40-yard bomb, which fair play to him, fine at that point in the game. Um, kind of skids down, keeper picks it up. There's another turnover right after that, and Driussi takes just like a god-awful touch, loses the ball. Did you guys ever lose hope or faith that we were going to win this game um, kind of around this point? So there's like almost like a complete lull in the stadium. And then right after that, Lima sends in like a cross, and it's kind of dangerous. And, um, you know, we get a, a halfway decent chance out of it, but I think it's a relatively comfortable save. And then like the stadium just explodes. Yeah. And you could see like hope return. So I don't know if you guys experienced that the same way I did where you were or Seth on TV, but um, it was weird to experience because it was like okay no hope bang like a halfway decent play and like everyone's ready to go like we're back behind this yeah it was like one of the the biggest improvements from apple versus past tv coverage is that you could get that sense like as i was watching the replay of the match like you're just like wait a minute what like did a light just turn on here like it was the same same thing experience the stadium is mic'd up so well that you get to a point of like okay this the crowd is going to will this team sort of similar to the way that it was against RSL before we got the penalty to tie up that match last year in the playoffs, that it was that type of atmosphere. And it's great to see that, yes, the South end is always going and the South end is fantastic, but for this, for Q2 to be a real fortress for it to be a point where which I think it's an overused phrase, but whatever, but like you get to a point of, yeah, how do you make this stadium the best atmosphere in the league? It can't just be 3,400 fans in section 101 to 105, or if we're getting really picky, like 2,200 and 102 to 104. But like getting to a world of like where the entire stadium is going, and we need to create those moments more and more often in the stadium. Uh, so I actually thought it, it took a while for Austin to kind of like get going in the second half. Um, and I think that was kind of part of what threw the supporter section off, because uh, I definitely felt like there was kind of like a lull in terms of, and this and this kind of happens in matches where Austin's not winning or struggling. Of the supporter section loses track of the capos and the songs, and instead start watching the game and reacting to the game a little bit more. And that's not to say that like that's good or bad. It's just a very different experience of what the supporter section is when we're winning. Um, and I definitely felt like before, like in that like 70th minute, like there was definitely a lull of like, what are we doing here? Like, what is like, what is happening? Are we, and like, what are we feeling? And then as soon as that hit, like it was noticeable that the change made that, the, or that the change happened both in terms of what the fans were feeling, what the stadium was feeling and what the players were feeling in terms of really, it, it felt like, that was one of the few times where the stadium really came together because that does not happen very often uh, outside of like corner kicks or whatever. Uh, but that felt like the first time that it happened organically during the run of play. Yeah. And I think there was a point there too, where um, Maxi goes over to the crowd and pumps everyone up. And this might've been after that kind of first initial burst, but um, he was definitely like an injection of passion and volume, not just like kind of for the team for Zardes, but for everybody in the stands, it seemed like, uh, he was just, when he came on and after that kind of first little attack with Lima off the right, uh, I leaned over and I was like, we're going to actually win this game. Because the whole time after kind of that first, after that Zardes goal, I guess, had been chalked off. I was like, this feels like a nil-nil or like maybe Montreal will nick a goal and we'll kind of be sad again. Right after that happened, I was like, oh, like no doubt or we're going to win this game. And I think a lot of that energy came from from Maxi. I don't know if that came through for for you guys too. 
Yeah, no, I think it, it like there was clear there was clear energy there. There was how do you set everything up there? But yeah, I think Maxi was great. Um, and then I think it comes back to the point I was raising with Finley earlier is like is Maxi ultimately better as a sub or as a starter? I think we'll get to see him as a starter on Tuesday. But um, it's I, I loved his energy in the match. I thought that I mean yeah, in, but it, it's easier to say that when you're the one who actually finishes the goal. And uh, last year we beat Montreal on a maxi goal assisted by Gallagher, correct? Yep, that is it yep. was 10 men, which, I mean, I still think that is, I mean, I'm a little biased because I was there, but it was, I, I think that was the craziest win. We, yeah, I think it's even crazy. I mean, no, I, I take that back. Beating LAFC at LAFC is still crazier than that. But uh, with, with only 10 men winning that match was was wild. And uh, I believe that now puts Gallagher at two goal involvements as our leading uh, goal involvement um, after two games, right? Yeah. Irish MVP. I mean, hey, he's, already, and he's already played three different positions. That's the other crazy part. Like, I kind of wonder, like, what the over-under on, like, Gallagher positions is now. He's going to do the, uh, yeah, the I, Jose Okendo and play every position except pitcher and catcher in a game? Yes. Yeah, I mean, he's a – you know what? Like – we're up like four out in some match, bringing him to keep for like five minutes to say that he can play all 11 positions. Oh, please God, do it and stick uh, Stuver at like central midfield. <laughs> Just like the, the Kyle Beckerman in the 2014 U.S. World Cup. Like you have to stand in this like six by six box and just ping balls around. Yeah. It'd be great. I mean, Stuver can pass the ball. That might, it might work for five minutes <laughs> or not yeah, be a complete hey, maybe, meltdown. Maybe as a center back. I mean, he's tall. Like, I mean, Oh yeah, see, I was yeah, I was thinking of throwing Stuver up as a nine and just like letting him try to like be a target man, uh, like we do with yeah, Peter Crouch to get there. <laughs> Peter Crouch is very underrated as a guy with a ball at his feet. By the way, um, yeah, he can yes. actually play. He's not just like a beanpole dude. Sorry, that that's is... like a major pet peeve of mine. <laughs> well, I mean, same with uh, uh, Veghorst on uh, United. They had him playing as like a ten with the ball at his feet, with like Rashford playing up front, and you're just like, why is this six eight dude like not like leading the line? It just looks weird. Hey, I mean, he had that great touch at the World Cup, mostly yeah. by being tall, but um, yeah, okay. Um, so we got the goal. Place goes wild. Um, what? Did, how did you react? Was this like uh, a great, oh my God, like put this up in the Pantheon level win for you? Or is it just like, okay, this is a nice win. It's uh, this is great. It, it is a, it's a sigh of relief. Okay, things are fine. Things are fine. Win and yeah, let's. We have a brutal schedule coming up ahead, and let's figure out how we at least build up with some momentum. Because if we had left that match as a nil-nil draw, there would have just been so many other doubts that start building into things, and that becomes a negative reinforcing cycle. And breaking that was important. Uh, gnashing of teeth and rending of garments, I believe, is how it's described <laughs> generally. But uh, yeah. So I'm with you, um, Charles. Is this sort of like a I don't know, call it a top five or a top ten for you? And like, I'll openly admit, my capacity for joy for this game was ruined by the Arsenal game earlier in the day because there is nothing that was going to top that. So, and I mean, they came close. It was a great win, but um, yeah, I don't know if it was a top five or a top ten win. Um, I think when we, depending on how the season goes, I think we're going to look back at this game as a hopefully as like a turning point of like belief that the team has of like no matter what we can win a match like we can come together we can do this we are still good we can still you know score goals and win and and get three points because like like Seth said like I think leaving this match with a nil-nil draw would have let those doubts creep in and not just in the team but in the fans and with you know with with uh so many matches coming up and so many competitions like it's also just good to bank points early which is something Austin did last year of, you know, they banked so many points early on and were able to kind of like coast into the playoffs and it's a long season and every point's going to, you know, be really important at the end. And, you know, this might be a bonus game because Montreal might actually be bad. We don't know yet. Um, but getting the win is definitely going to be a better momentum build for the rest of the season. Yeah, and as Seth mentioned, we have five games in 15 days. So yeah, exactly. anytime you can take three out of uh, any of those, it's it's a good thing. So I want to move us into the format I was going to try to stick us to like half an hour ago and never got to. Um, but uh, we're going to go ahead and do our tweet size takes. So basically like a sentence or two, or um, I'm not going to count the characters in your response, but 
um, roughly how you would describe the game in you know the length of a tweet. And um, I'm going to go ahead and do mine first, so just so we kind of get it off the bat and everybody knows what we're doing. Um, but it's essentially survive in advance. Um, it was kind of a knockdown drag out fight after we missed kind of those early chances and. Uh, we ended up getting a late winner, fine, whatever, take our three points, take our ball and go home and move on with our lives. Um, Charles? Uh, yeah, I would say my, I think my basic takeaway is finishing matters. And, uh, you know, we saw it last year against Montreal and we saw it this year that ultimately, like, you just need one guy to, one guy to finish it and it completely changes how you feel about the team. So you like the finish, huh? Always. Center back pairing joke, Seth. How about you? <laughs> yeah, no, I'd say um, moving, moving on that line is like the defense is okay. The back line is, I mean, it's okay for right now. It's not going to be world beaters. Let's see how we do against a team like an LAFC. Let's see how we do against teams that have a more potent um, attack. But it is not world panicking. And I think that I feel better about a 1-0 win than I would have about a 2-1 win. Um, and the fact that it's like, okay, we kept a clean sheet, and that was really important. Yeah, and I wanted to touch on this a little bit. I don't think this is like world-class, like vintage Italy-level defending, but um, Vicenin and Ring seem to understand each other, and we have enough other pace with Gallagher and um, people getting back to, to the um, funnel zone of, like, we can last ditch well enough to cover some of those mistakes that we make in, like, uh, I guess you would call it, like, setup positioning. Um, and kind of how we'll maybe get beat on because they there were a couple times they cut us apart in like three passes, but we got back and we stopped the danger and held them to a low XG shot. Um, and I I think we did a lot better at that. And I don't know if that's a communication thing or a, you know kind of used to playing together um, or played in the same system, so they kind of understand each other thing. But um, that was a good note. It's really important to highlight. I think. Uh, yeah, there's a reference earlier today about how. Um... Alex Ring and Leo were able to communicate and finish, which apparently was like very comforting for Leo, who I was very impressed by. Um, and I think part of that is also just like Alex Ring's play style. He's such a, um, he's, <laughs> it's, it, it's tough to describe it accurately, but like he is such a ball focused player and in that he invariably ends up around the ball at all times and just like natural instinct he's able to do that and so we tend to notice the stuff that he does more because so much of it is like actively on the ball or watching as opposed to somebody who like um is better positioned or like has interceptions or things like that um and so yeah i thought the defense looked really good like i thought they did really well in handling all the situations that came up yeah Good, good. All right, we're going to go back the other way around the horn. We're going to do stock rising. So this isn't necessarily like who had the best game, but it's who's been playing better than kind of your expectations in in this game. Um, so Seth, I'll let you go first on this one. I mean, obviously the big stock rising of the day is Alex Ring. That's just, you take that out there. Um, I would also add, um, and stock rising, I mean, Nick Lima, I mean, he didn't get the start um, because um, we actually didn't mention this. He wasn't at training most of the week because he uh, became a new father. So congratulations to Nick there on the birth of his kid on Wednesday. But he actually looked re- – I mean, he had obviously had the great um, hockey assist on the goal there. But he looked really good in the uh, in the buildup there. And I think that he'll be able to get – I mean – Actually, I'll be curious because in the post-match press conference, Wolf said not all 26 players are going to be flying to the Dominican tomorrow. And I'm maybe Lima's a player that actually doesn't go because, oh, he had his family had a kid in the last week. But um, there's a, um, but I, I think he's someone who I've been impressed with in the two matches so far this season. Yeah, nice uh, hockey assist in your face Canada um, joke in there. Yes. Uh, Charles, how about you? And uh, for future reference, let's only pick one or else we're going to do the whole team half the time. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think my stock rising, I'm going to go a little bit off the board. I thought Kolmanich looked really good and he looked okay. really good defensively last night. Um, he did a much better job of, uh, uh, of getting back and doing something that I think Austin in general last year and in previous years has not been a, as good about, which is just kick the fucking ball out of the way. Like, you know what? If you're in a dangerous position, position, like, just fucking kick it, guys. Like, we don't have to play pretty out of the back every time. Like, we can just clear, and that's okay. Yeah, I mean, you even watch, like, the best teams in the world that play the ball out of the back. Sometimes they just smack it into the, yes. the last row. Like, it's fine. It's okay. Um, 
Yeah, that's a good shout. I think I'm going to go with uh, also a little off the board. I thought Danny did really well. Um, there were a lot of times he sort of dropped back in that center back pairing and did a lot of carrying the ball forward, um, sort of like Julio would do and not necessarily like breaking lines and running through, you know, 30 guys or anything, which he did a couple times, but um, kind of that initial like, hey, let's bring it out and let's move the ball from that back third into the middle third and then we'll position it so we can move into the front third. Um, and it was a little off the ball movement that I don't think a lot of people noticed. So I wanted to highlight it. And my other choice was going to be Lima, but Seth already stole that. Um, <laughs> so I guess we got to go and um, we'll start with uh, Charles on this one because he hasn't gotten to go first yet. We're going to do stock falling. So it's the same, you know, reverse. Um, you could be the best player on the team and have your stock be falling just because you weren't as good as, you know, we all expect you to be. Um, I think last week everybody would have chosen Kippy for obvious reasons. Um, so, Charles, you want to lead us off here? Yeah, I think my stock falling is Zardes. Um, and I don't think this is a necessarily a comment about how he played. I thought he played very well. I thought he got into good positions and he put forth a lot of effort and running around and coming back. But when you're the striker and you don't score and another striker comes on for you and they do score, your stock's going to fall. Can we talk about how Zardes always looks like he's running in quicksand? <laughs> he's not like slow, but even when he's kind of like jogging, he looks like he's going full bore, like uh, sprinting the 100 meter at the Olympics. And it just looks exhausting. And I, don't, I don't know if you guys pick up on this, but um, we sit right on like the, the middle line. And so you can see him like when a ball's just coming forward and he's just sort of jogging um, back towards the goal as the ball's progressing forward. And it looks like he's just gunning it at, at best he can <laughs> yeah he he always looks like he's sprinting but he never he never moves like he's sprinting does that make sense yeah, yeah. okay uh seth you want to go next yeah i mean i think the the obvious one here is regoni i mean regoni i think was involved in the game he still looks way better than he did last year but until he gets a big assist big goal his stock is going to keep falling here there's going to be more of a question whether it's him or finley as a starter yeah, I think that's fair. And, um, you know, I'm anybody who's talked to me knows I was very anti Finley last year and we sort of touched on it earlier too. But at this point, like, I don't know if Ragoni's capable of scoring unless he gets one of those where somebody like wings it off his head and he scores on accident. And like, maybe that's all he needs is like some, you know, cheap garbage goal and then he'll unlock his ability to score or something. But he just looks like a guy who's never going to actually put it in the back of the net. Um, and that's, worrying like it was it was a concern last year and then you say okay well he came to mls halfway through the year and all that stuff and we all understand it but i mean two on a silver platter at home i don't know what to say there uh charles do you have anything to add no i think it's just i'm I'm hoping it's one of those things where there's just he's just feeling pressure about doing it and once he scores like he'll be able to like get that off his back but you can't ask for better chances than he got yesterday like those are the exact chances that we practice like if you watch the pre-match warm-up practice of like where they shoot and where they get the ball like that's where he gets it (laughs) open the floodgates hopefully i mean we all want him to succeed it's just we're getting to the point where it's concerning um, I think I'm going to go with Teen Wolf, partially because you two took the obvious ones. And um, I think he has a tendency, and this is like two games old, to play really well for about five or ten minutes and then just disappear for half an hour. And he had a pretty bad tackle. And he's been looking, I don't know if this is a positional or a tactical thing, but there are times where he just looks lost, like he doesn't know where to be almost like Danny's taken up the same space that he wants to be in and maybe they're too similar. And we kind of touched on that, but he like, he's almost moving himself out of the game. Um, I don't know if you guys saw the same thing or if I'm just being too hard on a teenager, which by the way, they started a teenager yesterday and they didn't score on us. So we're doing great. Yeah. I, I will say at one point I was going to bring up earlier when we were talking about um, several Petit, um, Montreal's lineup had four homegrowns in it and Petit was not one of them. Like that is like he also uh, Petit also broke the record for most minutes played by any NASF Montreal player during um, their entire franchise's history in MLS. Yes, oh, that's a good footnote. Interesting. Uh, so going back to Teen Wolf, uh, 
I think yes, you're being hard on a teenager. Also, I think because I want he, him to succeed. Exactly, but I think he does this thing that that we see uh, Austin does sometimes, which is that instead of trying to find an open space, he goes to a spot. And uh, it becomes a thing where it's like, okay, I'm occupying this space and I'm occupying this defender, but I'm also not open and I'm not available to be passed to. And that kind of defeats the purpose of what the point of like having the ball is. The thing I, I was actually very impressed by is that he pulled out a lot of like Felix Martin's old man drawing foul moves last night uh, that I was really kind of impressed that um, – if he found himself in like a bad position in the midfield, he was able to always draw a foul to get out of that bad position. Yeah. And that's a good skill to have. He also like chopped a guy pretty hard and I haven't seen a replay on it, but it was sort of like an orange card for me <laughs> and uh, got a yellow card pretty early. Um, so he does take up like uh, Felipe just exactly like that. And yeah, to be honest, if he plays like Felipe, we're probably fine. Um, is there any rumor about him still going to PSV? Uh, there's always rumors, but thankfully the Dutch transfer window is closed right now, and we'll see mm-hmm. where it goes. I, I did get a text from one of my friends during the match that was like, if Leo keeps playing this well, there's no way he's going to be on Austin FC in 2024. And that is – I don't – I on the one hand, high compliments, but it's like I don't want to keep having to buy a new top center back every year. No, and I noticed the thing, too, like, he's fast, he's agile, he passes well, he reads the game well. He tackles like an absolute bastard, and I mean that in the <laughs> highest highest compliment way, but he's going to get, like, some ref who's never seen this before sent him off this year. Like, there were three or four that I just went, oh, we get a, he slightly misses that, and we get a different referee. This is going to be bad. Uh, maybe yeah. we get it another way against uh, RSL. Who knows? <laughs> there was yeah, definitely was... one in the second half where he absolutely took out one of the Montreal players on like a ball over the top. That was very like, oh, if he's if that's not perfect, that's at least a yellow card. Like yeah. I saw that happening. And, like it's that thing of like you can see the the, the car crash before it happens, and like seeing yeah, exactly. that and being like, oh no, this could be bad. But he's, I almost want to say that he's the defender people thought Ruben was. Because he's better than Ruben. He is. Um, and I like Ruben. I, you know, it would be nice if he would come back. Um, but I don't <laughs> think that's going to happen. And it wasn't Leo like our first choice and we ended up with Ruben as a backup? Or is this like weird speculation that never actually happened? No, that, that, was, was, that, that was true. Yeah, that, that, that was true in the same way that like there was, after we got Ragoni, like supposedly Ragoni was on our list like in 2021 of like players to try to get to. Yeah, I'm still not seeing it, but um, they've done well with Bison then, so it's uh, not too bad there. I was about to say, give the European scouts a raise, give the South American scouts um, a new job. Yeah, I thought we were going to send them to uh, go scout Violet. Oh, yes, but we will see what we get there. Based on the press conferences, it sure sounds like Wolf hasn't um, seen much and Hopefully we had someone with like a camcorder down there or an iPhone or I don't know. I don't think that's Spygate uh, going to uh, go to open matches there. But. I, I, I don't want to spoil it, but we do have a, a piece tomorrow sourcing how Austin is scouting Violet. Oh, that, I'm you... looking forward to reading that. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I'm sure there will be uh, plenty of interesting things to come out of that. Are you sending any uh, ratch- match reporters down there? Uh no we uh we couldn't get a visa approved. Oh, shocking! Um, <laughs> they don't recognize you as a real media source over at the False Nine. I mean, neither does Austin FC, so it's not that surprising. So, um, we'll have to check in. Are you still doing the uh, contest with uh, Phil West? Uh, yes, we are. Uh, Phil is uh, graciously uh, uh, decided to challenge the chickens to a. Uh, a season-long contest predicting Austin FC matches. Uh, currently, we have the same record of one correct and one wrong. Uh, I do have to give Phil props that he did get the score exactly correct last night. Um, so great job on that. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a fun competition to see if uh, Phil can predict soccer better than poultry that doesn't understand what sports are. <laughs> okay, well, um, I guess if he does, uh, we'll we'll make sure to do a letter-writing campaign for the uh, the striker to give him a raise, right? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Okay. Um, I guess uh, we'll let Seth go first. What was your uh, biggest moment of suffering uh, during the game last night? 
biggest moment of suffering would be um, just the fact that we didn't score in the first half. I mean, as we were talking about earlier this podcast, it's, there's a world where that's a 4-0-5-0 win. And the fact that we had to suffer for 88 minutes before we finally got Maxi's goals, the obvious choice. All right, Charles, how about you? Well, I have to put something different, even though that's the most obvious one. Um, I think one of my most – actually, here, here's my moment of suffering from last night. Uh, somebody sit, standing next to me in the supporter section had their phone out and looked down at their phone watching a different match the entire first what? half. <laughs> <laughs> why are you going, and why are you in the supporters section? It was infuriating in so many ways, and I just sat there, and I was like, what is happening? Like – I would understand if it was something like you were watching like the match or had like the audio of the match going. So you had a better understanding of what's going on. I totally understand something like that. People do that with radios and in the stands all the time, but watching a different match at a match that you paid for to attend is just wild to me. I mean, I was at another MLS match last night (laughs) and I am doing a podcast about a different MLS match. I did not. I mean, yes. Was I checking my phone or Slack or occasional things? Sure. I have the Apple TV app on my phone. I could have easily done that. I did not even do that. And I'm a sicko to the nth degree. (laughs) I mean, we all are. Let's be honest here. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I just assume Seth downloads all of the games into his um, mainframe. And then absorbs them while he sleeps. But um, I did check. I made sure Seth watched the game. So we're not just throwing him on here. I did know he was in the fire game. He's well within his uh, employment contract parameters right now. uh, Because I pay him so, so much money. Yes, exactly. Um, Okay. Anything else? Uh, Oh, I got to do mine. So mine's similar. It's also in the stands. First of all, I thought, like, I don't know if there were a bunch of people who had never been to a game before. But it seemed like everybody was, like, on edge and angsty and rude and... Um, just generally in a bad mood going through the concourse. But there's a dude in front of me who was dipping, like chewing tobacco, but dip um, the whole game. And so it was wintergreen. And so the smell of that is just overpowering. Um, And left the little spit cup uh, that he had been spitting into the whole game there for the people there to clean up and then just threw all of the like, took the dip out of his mouth and then just chucked it on the ground. And, like, I was trying to watch a soccer game and, like, not freak out on this guy the entire time. And I'm not exactly like the, hey, I'm going to, you know, confront people in public Karen type. And it was just, if we hadn't scored that goal, it would have made the evening a lot, a lot, a lot worse. Um, so I'm glad we uh, we ended up getting that winner for everyone's sake. Um, anything else you guys want to touch on before we get out of here? Um, yeah, I'm just curious to see what we'll see on Tuesday. Um, I think we're going to do what a post-match pod reaction. Yeah, I think we're going to set that up. We're going to try to get it out that night. If not, we'll have something the, the next day. And the game's at 5 Central time, right? 5 Central time, 7 Atlantic Standard Time. It's a new time zone. It'll be the fifth time zone that Austin FC has played a match in, the third country that Austin FC has played a match in. And uh, we'll see how this goes. Apparently... Um, Violet is going to have their own um, Haitian Murga equivalent, so there should be an interesting soundtrack to the match. And okay. uh, we'll that actually sounds awesome. That does yeah. sound awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I Can say, I join yeah. Haitian Murga? I, I kind of want to go to the game now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was to the point. Uh, I've been on some emails with Concacaf in the last week, and that uh, they're like, "Oh yeah, we'll have tickets." Like, we don't know where the stadium they'll be. There's going to be no security. There's going to be. I mean, you might see a person or two in Verde there, but like, it is. I mean, it just it is a complete cluster. Or trying to arrange this stuff. Haitian Murga. All right, we're gonna have to do a review on that. Yes, um, that might that may have to be a standalone episode. We'll see. Uh, and how I was going to say, I mean, it, I mean, it, it's really a shame that they denied the false signs visas in because I mean, getting a burger report, trying to figure out what Haitian burger is playing, that would be a new regular feature. And I, I don't think that they're going to be able to get into the United States either. So this is that's tough. All right. Well, we'll have to see what the false nine comes up with for us. Um, Charles, thanks for joining us. Seth, thanks for joining us. And uh, everyone listening at home, please uh, rate, review, subscribe. Uh, follow the False Nine on socials. Follow us on socials. Um, if you guys want to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, it's really helpful for other people to find the show. Um, I only have so much time to do marketing, and I don't like annoying people with it anyways, so we always prefer word of mouth. Um, 
We appreciate anything. If you guys want to send us comments, we have an email address, uh, sfjpodcast at gmail.com. Send anything there. If you want to ask us a question or, um, you know, we have a lot of games. If you have some strong opinions, shoot me an email and we'll see if we can get you on the show or something. Um, But either way, thanks for suffering with us. Bye. here for Austin Jarrett Stroud. It's Diego for goodness. He has written his name into Austin folklore. They just won't go away. Oh, he hits the upright again. It's impossible. The Bears' season's going to end on a double point. Altidore squares it. Dempsey's missed it. Donovan has it. From hope, there is glory. 